Hey everybody, this is Bob, and uh, welcome to a conversation with Joe Domino. Am I right with that, Joe Domino? Demi it's Domino. Domino. God, I knew I was going to screw fine. that up. It's a lot of oh, a lot of well, vowels. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of eyes in there, so uh, yes, there is. it's worth the purchase on the wheel if you do the eyes for Joe's name. I'm so glad you said that. I always say Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> So, Joe, thanks for being here today and uh, uh, talking to me. And I, I, I mentioned before, because uh, I talked to Joe on his show uh, a while back. I like his artwork there in the background. And uh, he's got it up there again today. So yes. now you got a couple different things going on, Joe. You've got uh, Neon Jazz, which you do as a, uh, a traditional type radio show, I think, as well as online. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. It's both terrestrial and online. Yeah. And then you've got famous interviews, which I think, does that play on on the uh, radio as well? Or is that just online? It's actually on the radio as well. I have it's well, it's an online station here in Kansas City. They play all of my mm -hmm. interviews. So oh, the combination okay. of both jazz and everybody else that I have in the famous interviews. So, yeah. OK, so it's a little bit of a little bit of both then. A little hodgepodge. So, so obviously, I know the the uh, neon jazz thing has been going for a while. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, it all started way back when I got into broadcasting. I went to school in the '90s for it. Um, I I grew up in a little town called Liberty, and I love sports. I watched ESPN. I emulated Bob Costas and all the guys, and ended up going to the University of Missouri Kansas City to study broadcasting. And had a lot of really great experiences. I was an intern for the Kansas City Royals. I did pre and post game production, worked on another radio show and um, hosted another one at a local college and just really kind of got on the inside. And as I got on the inside, I just saw that it was a world that I didn't think that I wanted to do. Everything kind of changed in my life at that point in college. And I just got interested in other things. And I thought, I don't know if I want to go down this route, especially sports radio can be very cutthroat, very, mm -hmm. uh, very dark. And I wanted a little bit more originality. I just started seeing that a lot of things that were happening in that world were very boilerplate, very uh, cliche. And I just didn't want to do it. So I just really stepped out and flash forward. I had a family. I was uh, just went through a big construction project in my backyard to put a pool in that was really rough and i ended up going to a thrift store and i got this raccoon and in its belly it was an old radio shack raccoon there was a, a radio in it and i turned it on and there was this show and it was called the neon beat it was the american songbook and they were mm. actually playing the song kansas city so i reached out to the host i said i love this his delivery was wonderful his name's john christopher i love the music and i was writing freelance for a local newspaper at the time so i asked if he wanted to interview and we did so after the interview, he said, well, why don't we meet up for coffee and just kind of talk about our lives and how you got into broadcasting? And we did. And he ended up saying, I live four blocks away from you, which I had no idea. <laughs> he was an That's engineer. For, yeah, it's totally it was Kismet. So he was an engineer for a big conglomeration in Kansas City called Intercom. So he used to get all of this old radio equipment and he converted his garage into a studio. So he said, write a script and come over. I wrote a jazz script. April of 2011, and I'm on show 828 as we speak now, and it's been going strong. And I, my, my whole idea of doing the show 
was that I didn't want to get jazz from the history books. I wanted to get it from the mouth of the musicians. It's a very uniquely American story. I wanted it told in a very unique way. So that's what kind of spurred me getting into podcasting and interviews. And it kind of branched out into famous interviews as we see it today. Oh, that's interesting. So, so essentially one led to the other, led to the other kind of a situation. So were you a jazz aficionado prior to kind of this discovery or was this, this all part of that journey as well? I love jazz. I've always loved it. I, the first time I ever listened to jazz, seriously, funny enough, as I was flying to Seattle to see friends of my family and I was really into grunge at the time. It was the early 90s. And mm -hmm. uh, I was going to see what kind of bootleg, Soundgarden, uh, Pearl Jam, whatever I could get. But I listened on the way up there to Kind of Blue. And I had an old CD player. And um, I was hooked. And then I had a roommate in my 20s, uh, Mr. John Sweetwood, who had all of the cats from Monk to uh, Bird to all of the players. And I just got hooked. And I wanted more. And it was always one of those things that when I had my druthers, the warm serum of jazz just made the whole world make sense to me. It always has been a good feeling. So I figured that was definitely a world I wanted to get into. And I must say, I did listen to really good jazz radio in Kansas City. And chiefly amongst that was the great Mike Pettengale. He had a jazz show on our NPR station, and I loved it. He was so good at how he presented it. And there was another jazz show that I used to call into and win tickets all the time. And I used to go see a lot of concerts and I lived downtown. So a lot of people didn't call into this show. I think I was always the one winning the tickets, but I really got baptized in jazz. And when, when I had the opportunity, I thought this would be perfect. I just, I had no idea how wondrous these musicians would be like jazz musicians are the best people on the planet i will i will take that to task i will take that to any debate on the planet i really genuinely believe their heart and soul and and matched up with their talent and acumen for just being humble creatures is unparalleled to any other human i've seen on this planet so the fact that i picked that and it's who they are and what they do i'm i'm always so happy that i get to extol the virtues of such fine people I mean, that's wow. That's fantastic. And the, the interesting thing you mentioned, so you went down the road for uh, in university uh, college for broadcasting, but then you kind of stepped aside. So, I mean, so would you call this, um, you know, kind of at least at the beginning, kind of a hobby uh, for you to do these kind of things? Or what, what would you what would you place that on your plate as far as your life goes? I think in the beginning, it was like, let's see where we're going to go. Yeah, it, it could have been in the hobby realm, but it was also, I really took it seriously. I've taken it seriously since the word go. It really was a dream of mine to get behind the microphone. I mean, I, I remember when I was in college, I went to a bank to get a $500 loan to go to the first annual sports broadcasting camp. Bob Costas was there. We were all a mess before he came. Like the night before, <laughs> we're all watching Sports Center, a bunch of sports junkies freaking out because the next wave of Jesus was going to land in Bob Costas uh, gear and Dan Deerdorf, Joe Buck, all of the guys were there. So, you know, I've always been very serious about it, but I just, that was the realm that I didn't want to get into. And I didn't know that I would ever get into it. Um, it all kind of started somewhat. I'm an IT guy by day and I was mm -hmm. doing voiceovers for some instructional things for people to run programs and to do things. And I train in the, in the school district as well. So I kind of reinvigorated that whole broadcast notion and using my voice. 
So when this came up, it was kind of a natural extension of what I was doing. And it just kind of steamrolled into that uh, huge boulder that chased Indiana Jones in that one movie. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is you mentioned all those people and they all have a, a deep connection to the Midwest, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, between Costas and Buck and, and Deerdorf, uh, all from this uh, part of the world. Yeah. Do you think that that has anything to do with it? Also jazz, for that matter, jazz is is pretty much a uh, uh, something that's kind of come from the middle of the country, not necessarily just from the, the Midwest, but down in Louisiana and, and down south and so forth. But not really a coastal kind of thing. It, it right. seems like it really is, has been a, a something from the, the center of the country rather than from the coasts. Yeah, I mean, we're one of the original cradles of jazz. So the history, mm -hmm. immediately when people know that neon jazz is coming out of Kansas City, it always establishes instant um, credibility. But it's funny you do mention that because one of my favorite broadcasters, Bob Cost or Tom Brokaw as well, and mm -hmm. I, I take my son up to see the Chiefs uh, training camp in St. Joseph, and Walter Cronkite was at Missouri mm -hmm. Western. So when you think about all of the big broadcasters in history that have made the biggest impact, yeah, they all started in the Midwest and then, you know, made their way to the coast from there. So it's interesting. Even, even if you look at entertainment, you got Johnny Carson from Nebraska. I mean, yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to think about. I don't know that there's any reason for that. I mean, uh, uh, you know, maybe they're like, well, they're all bored there at that time period and, and started doing things differently. I don't know. But uh, it does it does kind of strike you whenever you line them all up like that. And you're like, well, look at this. This is really interesting and, and wild to think that there was this kind of hotbed of, uh, of area where all these people kind of came from. It was like, you know, Petri dish or something <laughs> germinating I all this stuff. Yeah, I think there may be science to that if we really did look into that and put some into it. I think for me, getting into sports, I love sports, but I was 4'11 in high school. There was no way I could compete. <laughs> I, I was a runner and I was a bench warmer in baseball, but I love playing sports. But I just, you know, I was average height as a kid. But when I got older, when I got into high school, I was just too small. So I figured and I figured this out more recently than anything else. If I could have a mighty voice or a mightier voice and I could get into some other realm that would cover that world, it would make all the kind of sense in the world. It would be the perfect Oreo cookie. I could get everything in that one little circle. So that's that's kind of my how I got into it. But I think being in the Midwest, too, I think there's a level of like there's 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 a lower level of distraction. Um, you know, the, things tend to be a little bit more simple. Um a little bit more boiled down to its parts. Um, so yeah, maybe that's, that's kind of a part of it. Um, but on the flip side, a lot of musicians that I interview come, there's a lot of them that come from like New York that mm. maybe right outside in Jersey that had the chance to go see all of those shows in the big city. You know, mm -hmm. when people tend to like live next to hotbeds, it kind of just lends into them wanting to chase that dream. Like you mentioned grunge in Seattle. So, I mean, that yeah. was the hotbed for for grunge uh, at that time in the 90s. You know, yeah. I, I, I oddly enough, you and I very similar. I was in college in the 90s. And I remember when, uh, you know, Nirvana's album came out, uh, 
because I was working at College Radio uh-huh. uh, at the time, and yep. uh, it was a big deal, you know. And this was before anybody else really, you know, was talking about it. But at the radio station, everybody was talking about it. They were like, "Wow, yep. this is interesting, you know, fantastic." And so it just, it, it just, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, how these things kind of pop up in different places and so forth. But uh, so uh, for you, so you had this quite longevity for your show. Um, Cause I think, uh, what did I read there? 2011 ish. Yes. When you started. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been a while now. What, what do you think, uh, you know, drives you to continue? I mean, it, obviously that's a long time to do things. You know, what do you think you say, you know, this, you know, this week I'm, I'm continuing to do it. What makes you think that you should or gives you that drive to do so? I think there's a couple of things. It, it all starts with John Christopher. He is one of my best friends on the planet. Um, I got married in 2019. He was my best man. He, he has been a mentor. He has been a father figure. He has been just one, one of the greatest people that I've ever met in my life. He actually... There was an abrasiveness that went into the whole broadcasting realm that I noticed early on, and he eroded all of that. All of that uh, attitude and everything went away with him. He's just a great guy. So I think to have – we always talk about we, – we always come in there with a blank audio canvas, and we leave filling it up with all of these things that we just didn't know were going to happen. So it's that thrill of being with John Christopher, but it's also – as time went on, it's, I, I really genuinely love talking to the musicians. I love calling through all of these songs and I try to orchestrate what I do on my show to do modern and the old era. Cause I think sometimes jazz gets pigeonholed into that glorious 50s, 60s era. Mm-hmm. So I like to really put modern cats on there and I take clips from their interviews and, and splice them in the show. And then I'll ask them if they've seen a show that was seminal in their lives and then play that artist and they'll talk about it. So I, I jump back and forth and really kind of try to weave together a timeline of how this art form happened. And it is literally infinite. I mean, it, it, it is a realm of art that is just goes on and on and you could do it forever and you would run into all kinds of new people, whether it's a, you know, a 13 year old prodigy and Joey Alexander, he's older now, but that was, how old he was when he came out or Mm -hmm. it's the continuation of somebody like herbie hancock or a retrospective on wayne shorter which they just released the film on or you know a band that reached out to me from i just talked to a couple of people from spain and Mm -hmm. they have a really interesting album called the third moon of jupiter i get requests from all over the world all the time i run into stories i read vignettes and books and research it i see movies it's like there's this infinite world of all different medias coming together and i I, maybe i've just been doing it for long enough but i just i pull them out like carla blay was a wonderful uh, jazz pianist and composer very avant she passed away a couple years ago or Mm -hmm. she passed away actually recently i should say and i interviewed her some years ago and it was it was a one of my favorite interviews that i ever did so i get a hop back in time and i get to kind of keep things relevant pay respects to people so anyways in a long and short version of this, it's being around John Christopher, and it's really loving the jazz community and loving this music and exposing the story, which is always fascinating to me. It's never lost its luster. It's actually gained more and more over time. 
So that, so I mean, that's really fascinating. But also, this is not like a full time gig for you. This is really, uh, you know, something that you're doing, um, you know, for lack of a better term, on your time. Yeah. And so, much. how how do you how do you keep up, you know, that uh, energy? Because you mentioned you got married, you've got a son. I mean, all these things kind of take away from time. Uh, that you you have and and yet you've continued on and and obviously you know ventured into great uh, areas uh, of it. Um, I, I'm just you know you, you, we have to have a day job sometimes for these yeah. kind of ventures, and I'm sure you do as well. And so you know that seems. How do you catch all these people with with this? I guess you have some flexibility. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I budget everything based on my day and I squeeze everything in with breaks that I have and after hours and before hours. So I just make it all work and it's a passion. And I think that's the thing about it. I try to do it um, the best I can. And I have to pull back. There's times where I'm like, I can't do it. You know, I'm not yeah. going to. can't. In fact, I went on vacation this summer. It was the first time I haven't done a show in years and years, because that was the one thing, especially when the pandemic happened, I really wanted to make a commitment to stay on and continue to ride that horse through it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so it's just, it's a juggling act, but it all adds to your self-actualized Maslow kind of thing. You know, it, it, it just makes things every, every, all, all the aspects of doing this, whether it's famous interviews or neon jazz, just adds to all of the other things that I'm doing in life. And I weave my family into it. Like over the pandemic, I have a stepdaughter um, and, and she's she's 17 now. My son, Miles, is 18. They would listen to my interviews. You know, whenever mm -hmm. we were going through the pandemic and we had time off, I would get in the car and they would listen to the interviews and they get woven into it. So all of this is kind of, it's all cross-pollinated too. So, so they're there. They have some interest as well. I was, my next question was going to be, so, you know, you've put so much into this and so forth. You know, you're obviously going to continue it for yourself, but do you, how far do you think it'll go? Do your kids want to be involved in it? I mean, where, where do you think it, it ends up? You know, we don't live forever, Joe. Sorry. But, right. But, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, they, they, they seem to dig it, but you don't want to push your kids into things because there could be resistance. So I think just by mm -hmm. natural osmosis, it could turn into something that they might want to do. And they've been watching it and it could become a part of their lineage. So, yeah, I mean, um, my son is on the spectrum. So, um, you know, he's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where, where it might go with him. I mean, he, he could at some point just surprise me and come up with something and want to go for it. Um, Jilly, um, she tends to be on the opposite side of things. Um, and she may pick it up at some point too. You know, I mean, they're fascinated with the, the different people that, um, that are interviewed in different parts of the world. Like for instance, I went into an interview about a month ago with uh, somebody on the platform on Podmatch called his name is mm -hmm. Rob Barat. And it was just billed as he was an actor in LA. He was a musician and we start talking. He's really into jazz. He's actually really a well-established actor. And later that afternoon, I told Jilly about it. I was like, do you know who he is? Because it was a show. 
He's mm-hmm. on a show that she loves called On My Block on Netflix. Mm-hmm. When I told her that I had, you know, when she realized who he was, <laughs> screamed through the phone, freaked out. <laughs> but that's the beauty of this process of kind of interviewing and going in a little bit ignorant is like, I mean, I knew what he did, but I didn't, I, I, I just, I don't know. I keep all of the separation of church and state. But anyways, getting back to the original <laughs> question, she may one day get to a point where she's like, yeah, I would love to interview these different people and, 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 and see what kind of world they're in. Um, so we'll see where it goes. I mean, I would definitely support it and I've taken them to live shows. I still go to, there's a lot of live jazz shows that are free in Kansas city. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're getting immersed in that world and whether or not they take that baton on it, it'll at least um, in the interim, it provides them some level of life enrichment and uh, just helps them see the world in a very unique way. That's fantastic. I just was curious. Uh, yeah. You know, I asked myself that same question. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm like, mm, I wonder what his answer will be. Yeah. So let's let's loop in famous interviews. So you've been doing the neon jazz thing for a while and then famous interviews comes along. What was the catalyst uh, to do that? Uh, I mean, obviously you're interviewing anyway. And so, you know, maybe expand beyond the world of jazz, I suppose. But was there like a a moment where you're like, hey, wait a minute. There was actually two moments. When I was doing um, neon jazz, my son is on the spectrum and he would sing this one song from one of my favorite musicians of all time, Jason Faulkner. And he teamed up with a guy named Daniel Johnston. He was kind of an underground indie hero out of Austin, I believe. And it was, the song was called Fake Records of Rock and Roll. And Jason produced it. And Daniel was kind of like, I mean, if you, if you look at his history, he was like one of the original, like singer songwriter people that was profiled on MTV. He just vaulted to instant fame. Um, He's an artist and, and all these other things. So I wanted to interview Jason. So I reached out, got him to agree, got Daniel Johnson to agree. We had a great interview. So I just kind of was like, this is kind of an outgrowth of what I'm doing already. So um, I read Bird Box by Josh Mallerman, the, the Netflix movie. I, I reached out and he agreed to interview in like 2014. He is a wonderful human. Josh is one of my favorite people ever. So I just kind of would reach out to people and be like, hey, you want to interview? And, you know, let, let's and, and they would they would go for it. But I didn't really have. I mean, I did have famous interviews. It was kind of neon jazz and famous interviews, but it didn't get gung ho until Alex at Podmatch reached out and said, hey, what do you say? You know, we got this platform kind of presented everything. And I thought, well, let's let's do it. And once I got in there, I loved it and just kind of branched out to another RSS feed, another entity. So, yeah, it's neon jazz and famous interviews. But that's kind of how it gained steam and took off. That's interesting. So yeah. so really, there was some uh, uh, a little bit with the now, you know, uh, you mentioned pod match by uh, by name, but there's a lot of different, uh, you know, services now that have really cropped up over the last five years that uh, yeah. that bring people together a little bit more than they used to in the past. It seemed like, um, you know, uh, having done this kind of stuff for a while, it seemed like all the comics would interview each other on their shows back yes. in, in the early uh, you know, 2010s or whatever. And that's all it was, you know, and, and people didn't know how to get a hold of people. So it's kind of, 
an interesting uh, change in, you know, if you want to call it the industry, as it, as you will, because essentially now it is an industry where, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, you wouldn't even consider it uh, so much so um, yeah. whenever uh, you started. But yeah, there it is kind of an industry. And I think I can't remember where you and I connected. It may have been through that, may have been through a different one. But yeah, I, I think <laughs> yeah, I think it was through Podmatch. And it's interesting because I think people are using their advertising dollars instead of putting like an ad on a on a bench by a bus stop, they're doing more podcasting, which is more of a personal mm -hmm. touch. You tap into their audience, I tap into yours. It's a really mm -hmm. good way. And I think there's a therapy that goes into podcasting these days. I think we're all getting to know each other. And I think we all are realizing things in this very divided, politically divided world that we live in, that there's a lot of things that are very similar and that we can find a lot of common ground. You say that and it's very interesting because I think there was a, a time, um, you know, a cell phone growth has happened where people are, oh, people don't talk to each other anymore. Yeah. And this just goes to show you that at least a subset still do uh, because we're having all these conversations, even though they're happening digitally, uh, rather than being at, you know, the neighborhood diner or uh, in person. Um, but it still happens and it's still wanted. It's still yeah. actually people are driven to to do this, yes. um, which I find interesting because, you know, so much of the mainstream media is, you know, everybody's, you know, they always show the poor lady walking into a fountain or something while she's looking at her phone yeah. uh, on, on the news and what have you to say people are so into their devices. And yet, you know, now we're at the point where the device basically reaches out to other people. So you can have these kind of interesting uh, conversations about, you know, what you're doing, because, you know, none of these things would have been possible, uh, you know, 20 years ago as easily. Right. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of interesting how uh, time moves on here. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, um, so you mentioned a couple, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit. But no, that's, you're kind fine. Of my, you're fine. that's kind of my head here. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned that your son was on the spectrum and uh, so forth. And I actually did uh, um, an autism uh, specific show because uh, I believe that I'm on the spectrum because of certain uh, issues that I have dealt with over my life. So do you feel that you yourself uh, fall on there somewhere? Because it is a spectrum. So it doesn't mean, you know, uh, it could just be some little uh, what people would usually call quirky things. Have you noticed uh, that about yourself at all? I, I mean, I, I noticed that I am quirky, uh, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, my, my son specifically has a long arm on his 15th chromosome which has mm -hmm. led to developmental delays. So they, they put it on the autism spectrum. But for okay. me, I don't know. I, I mean, I know that I had an IEP really early on in my life, like second grade, something like that. I had some issues with reading and comprehending. And with Miles, he has a really hard time comprehending with reading. It's one of those things. It's almost like instant amnesia. Once, mm -hmm. once you read, or get certain things, you have to almost relearn it again. There's levels of it. So I guess in a roundabout way, I haven't really specifically looked into it. I've never really had any um, anybody in any professional capacity say, well, maybe you should get tested and see what's going on. I think it's um, um, 
I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, I, I, I'm just was curious. I just, yeah, no, only, no, no. Only, <laughs> I don't yeah. ask to pry. I basically ask no, to no, see no. if you've noticed anything um, because this is one of those topics, oddly enough, that uh, actually when you and I would have been younger, was not a topic. You were just, yeah. you know, the quirky kid. I mean, there was obviously worse words that people would use on, on folks who had um, uh, interesting obsessions, perhaps. Um, yeah. And and just bec- the only reason I asked because you you mentioned that, and then you've got this um, uh, your jazz thing, and it's been gone. Because I mean, most people, if you were to look at the statistics, most people who do this kind of stuff that you and I have done for quite some time uh, are the minority, right? Yeah. A lot of people have just come on because it became um, for lack of a better word, somewhat popular all of a sudden. Sure. And especially over the pandemic, people had some time. They're like, this kind of looks neat. And you, you they have done it, you know, within the last uh, three to four years, let's say. Yeah. Um, where you have folks such as yourself uh, who have been doing this a lot longer. And it really is a branch off of a an earlier interest in radio yeah and um like you mentioned um that you know you got into it and you're like "Eh, this isn't the best place for me right right Uh, and i did as well so i mean i loved being in college radio and uh so forth and um but you know going further than that i'm like i don't know because it gets a little bit it's not an area that i'm really super interested in in the how it works as opposed yeah. to what you you know the front facing part as far as uh, to the back facing uh, back facing part yeah. is a little bit more um grimy than the front facing uh-huh. part let's say uh-huh. yeah yep, yep. uh so I, I find that interesting that you mentioned that because uh you know it it really it really is uh and i think that's probably why a lot of people enjoy this media that this new media if, if yeah. we can still call it that right or medium because you know you're a little more isolated and don't have to deal with uh kind of the nasty corporate slash back end of all, everything yeah I agree. um so i guess um having said that you know so you've been doing this for a long time and um and, and so forth and you got a backlog and everything Spotify comes to you. Hey, Joe, you know, we're going to we're going to put you on the Spotify thing, uh, you know, a la Joe Rogan style, but maybe not quite with all the money. Right. Uh, you know, what's your thoughts? I mean, if you get plucked from from Kansas City to be in the in the spotlight of the, the corporate owners, what's what's your thought on that? I, I would I, I think there would be a part of me that would be fine with that. I think. there's obviously a level of all of us that are doing this because we want to reach an audience and we want to get as many people as we can to listen to it. So if they provide a vehicle to do that and provide some level of stability, I would be all for it. I think that's the idea of podcasting is that it's still levels of it are so unchartered that anything that would develop that would come into a partnership, I would not be adverse to. I mean, I've had individuals that have reached out. We've done cross-pollinating ads with each other. So I'm always really open to doing things like that. And I think it just furthers the craft more, not just for me, but it creates this forward momentum for all of us to get to a point where we have more stability and more reach. And I think that's 
the idea of this, you know, because we're definitely not doing this in a vacuum. I mean, we would. We, I mean, we're not going to stop doing it because we don't get numbers. But if we mm -hmm. can have a steadier outfit and a and a and a a big company that would help out to get that going, I I would not be adverse to it. Now I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pin you on something because you use the word partnership as opposed to ownership. Because a lot of times, whenever that happens, you know, they it's not it. They like to say it's a partnership, but a lot of times they're like, "Okay, Joe, we love this famous interviews, but from now on, we're going to have a little influence over what you're doing." And so that's you know, I thought yeah. that was interesting in your choice of words. <laughs> yeah, and I was specific because I, I that is one of my things that you know I have listened to whether it's Rogan or anybody else that's gone on to the next place that that's a big deal to, to, to retain that creative. Right. And that's the mm -hmm. reason why I enjoy doing what I do with the jazz show is that I do have full creative liability. Everything that goes into the show is a hundred percent what I decide I want to put on it, you know, mm -hmm. from interview clips to music to orchestrating it, the whole thing. So giving that up, it would be really, really difficult. There would yeah. have to be some things that, um, would make sure that that freedom exists. And I know that you have to give up certain things, right. but yeah, there's definitely lines in the sand that would have to be drawn. <laughs> so I didn't mean to pin you down on that, but I, no, just, I found no, no, that no. really interesting. Yeah, but no, it's all good. It is. It, it is so interesting because I, I, you know, uh, always in my mind project, you know, where's this going? Cause, cause I wouldn't have thought, you know, 20 years ago, this is where it would be at now. Yeah. Um, would you have a guess uh, where you think everything's heading uh, as far as just let's just talk about podcasting in general. Where do you think it's heading? I think it's going to start getting to a point where all of the people that are into it because it was kind of the popular fad thing are going to probably start melting away eventually over time. And I think that the, the people that have been around that have always loved to do this are going to just stay around and um, and, and continue to do it. Um, but I, I, I still genuinely, th I, I'm still always in shock that podcasting is kind of this hip thing now. I just never envisioned it would be, but I just think that it's going to continue to rise in popularity. I think, um, content is king and, and if people have good content and they have people that are really good about presenting it, we have a very democratic way that we look at the arts and culture and getting information and entertainment and that is always going to win out. It is going to be the election where there is going to be no argument as to who won and who lost. And uh, I think it's just going to continue to gain a popularity. And I think for people that are doing it like us, I think the opportunities are going to continue to come, hopefully, for us that have continued to do this and made this a very defined passion for our lives. Oh, that's fantastic. You're such a positive person, Joe. <laughs> I do it's what great I, to yeah. talk to you because you are, uh, you know. You, because you know, after your own uh, self monologue sometimes can get you down. So it's great to talk to somebody who's so uh, positive about these things. Not that I'm overly negative, because but right. uh, but every once in a while you're like, oh gee, you know, uh -huh. uh, you, you wonder, you wonder sometimes. You're like, oh why bother? But uh, right, that's a very that's a very thoughtful uh, uh, summation there for that. Question. It's yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all about a lot of it is about 
the energy you put out there is the energy. There's a level of it that you're going to get back. And um, I just, I just love doing it. It's just, it's just really something that I genuinely enjoy. I mean, I, I interview people all the time to talk about passions, like them finding where their niche is in life and all of that. And, you know, I just turned 51. I've, you know, I'm over halfway into this journey and it took me a long time to figure certain things out. And I can tell you right now, that early dream of mine to be a broadcaster has definitely been something that I knew what I was going for. And I'll tell you, this, this is an example of how we kind of hit this level of manifest destiny in our lives. My favorite guy of all time when I was a kid was Dwight Gooden. I loved Dwight Gooden. He was the beginning of my journalism career. I wrote a letter to the Kansas City Star back in the late 80s, early 90s, defending him because he was going through, you know, troubles with drugs and all of that. But I've always loved Gooden. I, I had posters in my room, autographs, all of that. I loved him. But I was in Kansas City and he was with the Mets, so I could never see him live. But I just always had this thing. So about a month and a half ago, I find out that he's going to get honored by the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum here in Kansas City. And he's going to be in mm -hmm. something called the Hall of Game. And it's for African-American pitchers that have had stellar careers and there was criteria and he fit that. So he was going to come to town. So I'm like, oh, my. So I reach down. I'm looking into it and I get a hold of the PR people and they're like, it's getting crazy right now. We just released this national. I'll get back with you about a week and a half later. I don't really get a response. I call and send an email. And then like two days later, they're like, all right, here's the, here's the scoop. Here's the credentials. Here's everything. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to, there's a chance that I'm going to get to interview Dwight Gooden. So um, that morning, my son was a part of a program called Challenge Air and it, they take special needs kids in airplanes and fly them over Kansas city. And he's done it for like eight or nine years. So there's all this construction. <laughs> he's, he's doing this thing. I'm not sure if we're going to get down there. I can't really tell Miles about it because it'll get him. He'll, he'll get spun out. I got to be very careful about what I tell mm -hmm. him. There's all of these elements that go into it, but I get there and Miles is there and he's not quite sure what's going on. I'm not either. And then all of a sudden, Bob Kendrick, who has a very loud voice, very commanding voice, is leading a whole group of all of these people that are going into this hall and they're coming into the room and Dwight Gooden walks in and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, wow, there's, there's the guy. Dwight Gooden had no other reason for anything other than just being alive. He's looking through the room and he just comes up and he puts his hands out and, and I shake his hand and I said, my name's Joe Domino. And he was like, nice to meet you. And he just walked on and I just sat there and I was like, I can't believe that happened. So anyway, I ended up interviewing him. And I think about that moment. My hero from when I was a kid was totally validated. Dwight was one of the nicest people I've ever met. Like they say, don't meet your heroes, but I did. And it was wonderful. And I got to interview him. I literally, my wife bought me his biography, which reignited my whole thing with Gooden. Like I kind of mm -hmm. let it go for a while, but I watched that documentary, that 30 for 30 on the 86 Mets. I got her into it. She was fascinated. So anyway, she got me a signed Dwight Gooden jersey in his biography last Christmas. Wonderful. One of the best gifts I ever got in my life. So that kind of sparked my imagination. So anyway, getting back to the original question, this, this whole thing, one way or another, when you start putting things out there and seeking and just doing it because you love it, you just never know what's going to happen. I would have never thought I would ever have not only interviewed Dwight Gooden, but met him and, and would have had that kind of experience. It was, it was wondrous. 
That's fantastic. Again, yeah. you know, it's such a, a positive uh, story um, of things that you've encountered there, just, you know, basically from following your own uh, path, as it were, yeah. you know. Yes. That's fantastic. So if you had to, if you had to say between the two, so uh, the neon jazz and the famous interviews, you know, give me give me your top. I mean, obviously Dwight Gooden's up there, so we'll we'll set him at the tip top. How about that? And then we'll <laughs> yes. say so the other one. So for neon jazz, what who's the, the your best person that you've uh, interviewed for that one? The one person that probably chiseled away more than anybody else was interviewing Sonny Rollins. I interviewed him in 2014. It was wondrous. And I never even thought that it would happen. I just kind of took a chance and his agent said, yeah, we'll see. She wasn't even sure. Mm -hmm. And just the legends are amazing. Like Dr. Lonnie Smith, who, who passed recently, he was wondrous. I always think about the jazz elders as like the guys, the Jedi's in Cloud City and Empire. They're <laughs> wise swamis looking down on all of his minions. Mm -hmm. There's a magic, there's a mysticism that goes into them. Uh, David Amram um, is a very, very noted musician and author. He hung out with Jack Kerouac. That interview was just stellar. Like the stories and the way he is. And David's one of the most positive deep cats i've ever interviewed in my life man i mean i could go on and on there's so many people just like regular just interviews that may not be big name people that have just been absolutely spectacular but sunny and all of those legends have held a very special place for me because it represented so much growth and so much of an insight into why i love the jazz musician and the mentality and what they do for the younger generations that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, and as far as the famous interview one, is there one that stands out that you're like, you know, you know, this was great. Uh, I wish everybody would be like this or something like that. <laughs> I've had so many good experiences with famous interviews. Honestly, I mean, there there has been like Jason Faulkner was just phenomenal to be able to like interview him. Josh Mallerman from Bird Box was wonderful. You know, there's been all kinds of people that I've interviewed. And the weird thing is, is that sometimes I'll go into these interviews, like with our interview, I didn't know what to expect. And then all of a sudden I see this, this cartoon come up and I'm like, oh my God, I sent this <laughs> to my wife. And I was like, Sorry. you gotta watch this. She totally freaked out. She was like, that is the coolest thing ever. So there's all of these vignettes. And I think that's the reason why I'm so happy that I branched out and I'm doing something other than just jazz because there are so many fan, just wonderful people. Like I always ask people, who would you love to meet? And there's a lot of people out mm -hmm. there that say there's no one really famous or big or anybody like that. I just like the people that are doing the grind every day that just have this heart and soul, this grit, this, this integrity about them. And I run into that all the time on famous interviews. Like I literally, I'm not trying to say, Oh, everything was great. And this, that, and the other, and everybody's wonderful and it's all equal. But what I'm saying is that every single person that I get the chance to interview has something in there that I will always grab onto and always remember. Like I remember, um, like I, I ran into uh, a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, there's a guy, he, he he's, a, he's a man in his younger twenties named John. It's John's crazy socks. It's those he he's. Oh uh, yeah, I've okay. actually seen that. Yeah, I I interviewed he's, him. He sells the socks, and it's all different kinds of socks, yes. right? Yeah. So I uh -huh. I I kind of ran into him on Podmatch, and then we interviewed, 
And we really had a spirited talk because my son, Miles, loves socks Mm -hmm. and he's in the special needs. He's getting he's 18. He's getting to that point. They explained to me how it all happened. So those vignettes are unbelievable. And they sent us a care package in the mail. We really kept up. We had a really great spirited interview. So there's all of these things, just like with Rob Murat, like the fact that my stepdaughter was like, oh, my God, you interviewed this guy. (laughs) But for me, I'm just digging in and peeling back the layers of these people that are just really good people and they happen to stumble upon something that just worked and they're being cool about it and they're just living their lives they're just doing their thing that's fantastic well yeah joe um i want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today and uh yes, and uh you know it's been great and such a, a message of positivity and uh I, I want to thank you also for keeping up the uh the Midwestern uh, broadcaster uh, dominance uh, that we have <laughs> here, yes. so that, you know, we're the pioneers, the uh, the uh, people who are always bringing something new to the table, yes. uh, are coming here from the Midwest. And uh, Kansas City is such a great uh, town, and I'm I'm sure we could probably uh, do another hour just on Kansas City. Yes, but uh, <laughs> but I'll let you go for now. And, yes, sir. Uh, We'll probably loop back and catch each other again sometime. And everybody, uh, go and let me say, I'll pop things back up here again. Go and, and check out uh, Neon Jazz uh, uh, program as well as famous interviews. And Bob, this has been an immense pleasure. Thank you so much for what you're doing. You have such a unique platform, such a wonderful, um, relaxed way of approaching this. So thank you for what you're doing. And we'll just uh, we'll, we'll keep it going, man. Well, thanks, Joe, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. Take care.